the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We crawl out of bed for church on New Year's Day to celebrate a feast that focuses on cutting a male body part. Some modern liturgical calendars have changed the name of the feast to the Feast of the Holy Name or have shifted the focus to Mary, the Mother of God. However, the chronological fact is that today, on the eighth day after our birth, our Lord, as the son of a pious Jewish family, was circumcised. Why? Male children were circumcised in obedience to the commandment God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 12. Quote, God said to Abraham, Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. This commandment was later incorporated into the law of Moses. The symbolic significance of circumcision appears to be twofold. First, circumcision required the shedding of blood, which reminded Israel that sacrifice was a central part of the covenant. Second, circumcision marked off the organ of reproduction, which reminded Israel that the covenant God made with Abraham was with Abraham and his seed or descendants. The second point is highlighted by St. Paul in his letter to the Galatians. He writes, quote, To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but to thy seed, meaning one, which is Christ. In other words, God did not make his covenant with all of the plural descendants of Abraham. God made his covenant with one particular descendant of Abraham, the Messiah who was promised uh, to come. The practice of circumcision marked off the male children in Israel and kept Israel under the covenant promises until the arrival of the one male child who would fulfill the covenant and bring all the covenant promises to fruition. We no longer circumcise as a religious ritual. Baptism, the sign of the new covenant, has replaced circumcision, which was the sign of the old covenant. As Colossians says, quote, in Christ, you're also circumcised with the circumcision made without hand by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. A significant distinction between circumcision and baptism is that women were not able to receive the sign of the Old Covenant. The covenant with Abraham was with the male child, 
and women were included in the Old Covenant through their relationship with the male heir, whether it be father or husband. Now that Christ has come as the firstborn son, as the male heir, all people, men and women, enter into the covenant promises through their relationship with him. Therefore, we are all baptized into Christ, both men and women. Circumcision was something done to the exterior of the body. But the water of baptism is an outward sign of the inner renewal we experience through the Holy Spirit. And this is the main distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The focus on the outward observance versus the focus on inward renewal. The Law of Moses was written on stone tablets. And Jeremiah tells us that in the New Testament the Law is written inwardly on our hearts. And this fulfills the prophecy of Deuteronomy, which said, quote, The Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. <clears throat> we can contrast this interior renewal we experience of the Holy Spirit, this circumcision of the heart, with that staple of the secular New Year, the New Year's resolution. People make resolutions this time of year to do new things. The problem is that most of those resolutions fail. People don't do the new things, at least not for very long, that they resolve to do. Why do resolutions fail? Resolutions tend to work on the level of what the Bible calls the flesh, which is our fallen human nature. And they fail because we cannot rise above our human nature by mere willpower. We need the grace of God to conquer sin. As people experience this pattern of resolution and failure over time, one of three things tends to happen. One, people become cynical. They end up settling for less than God's perfect will. Or people become perpetual seekers of the new and better thing that will work in a better way than last year's thing that didn't work. Or they will adopt a disembodied spirituality, a fake optimism that has no real application to life and God's creation. The only real answer to sin and to our own captivity to disordered patterns of behavior is the death and resurrection of Christ and our own dying with him and rising with him through the grace of our baptisms. And this is the reason we should avoid the once a year pattern of resolution and failure and should focus instead on the ongoing renewal that God accomplishes in us through the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is the essence of our baptism. As the Book of Common Prayer says, quote, the inward and spiritual grace in baptism is a death unto sin and a new birth unto righteousness, whereby we are made children of grace. 
We live out the experience of baptism through our practice of the life of prayer. We are always dying to sin through repentance, and we are always rising to new life through the grace of forgiveness and through the power the Holy Spirit gives us to live in a new way. God's grace gives us the power to change. God does in us what we are unable to do all by ourselves. Resolutions are rather easy to make, but this process of renewal is hard. God's power can do in us what we cannot do by ourselves, but we also have work to do. We must be willing to die to our sin. We must be willing to let go of our idols and trust God. For God does not work in our lives against our will. Most of us experience this death very slowly. We surrender to God over time in gradual ways. But here is the important thing. The process of our growth is slow, but it is real. As we live the life of prayer in the community of the church over time, we grow in grace. We may slip and fall at times, but if we keep returning to God and keep returning to his grace, and if we really want to change, God and his grace will conquer our weakness. Failure is a part of the process of spiritual growth because it leads us to depend upon God more. And this distinguishes our ongoing renewal through the death and resurrection of Christ with the practice of making resolutions. If we make a bold resolution and then we fail, well, we've just failed. However, when you strive by God's grace to live in a new way and fall short at some point in time, this will become a process or part of the process of your growth if, indeed, the failure leads you to a greater surrender to the will of God. St. Peter's failure on Monday, Thursday, after his bold resolution to die with Christ, led him to greater humility, to a renewed experience of forgiveness, and to greater commitment to his ministry. The things that reveal our weakness can open the door for Christ to enter into our lives in new ways and give us new strength if we're willing to die and rise with him again. Thus, if you want to make a New Year's resolution that will really change your life, resolve to increase your dependence upon God and the grace of God. Make a, a commitment to continually ask God to give you the grace you need to change. Ask God to do in you what you cannot do all by yourself then never abandon your prayer or your dependence on God's grace. 
Our bold resolutions will fail, but God's grace will continue to change us into new people. As the epistle says, quote, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.